I'm excited that you're here this morning. Uh, we have, uh, I don't think that I've ever, I've talked about communion, but I don't, I don't think I've ever preached on a whole sermon talking about the Lord's Supper. So um, it's made interesting, um, partly because what I feel like God's revealed in and through this week um, in this text, and we're going to be in Luke 22, 14 through 23, if you want to get there, we'll be there in a second. Um, it's interesting how he loves to correct us to the right thing and how easily we get off topic and off focused. And so the Lord's Supper does one thing, and this is my one thing I want you to walk away from, is the Lord's Supper centers us on what this is all about. And he instituted it because he understands that we are a people that will get the wrong focus. We are a people that will gravitate to the wrong thing for good intentions. But he always wants to center us back to this one thing, which is his sacrifice. Everything in our world, as it relates to the gospel, centers on this reality. On this celebration that we are going to enter into at the end of service. So here's a statement. You were not designed to nibble. You were designed to feast. You were never created. And I'll I'll get into this. And uh, Lay's, I don't know if you remember this popular ad campaign. Lay's chips. Anybody know where I'm going here? You can't just eat just one. So even a chip company understands that that bag was never intended to be opened and just sampled one chip. You just can't eat just one. Anybody ever tried it? It doesn't work. I think in our efforts to efforts to do that, we end up eating more than we probably normally would. Be like, I've got willpower. <gasps> Especially when you open it up and they're fresh, they're not stale. I mean, mm. here's another one that we we weren't designed to sample. We were designed to be a part of is engagement. Have you ever, you know, if you've never been engaged, sorry, uh, it's the longest period of your life. So long, I mean, like, you have this excitement, you, you have finally got to this place that you're like, I'm ready to commit my life to one person for the rest of my life, and you're excited about it. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that social media did not exist back in, I mean, I, I guess it might have, but not really, back in 96 when I got engaged. I mean, because now there's a lot of pressure on you to, like, take this perfect picture and have this perfect proposal. I mean, there was a guy at our other church, he's on staff there, and he literally, his his future wife was going to be in Europe doing this thing for work. And he was like, you should go to France and, and had this whole thing with her friend to arrange that she would be on the Eiffel Tower, which he was also there to pray. And I'm like, dude, I did their wedding. I'm like, you've set the bar so high. <laughs> like, it's hard to come back for that, like, every birthday and anniversary. But like, you just got me some diamond earrings? They're like, where's Paris? 
But it is the longest thing. It was never we were never created to be in that holding pattern. We were created to be united with the thing that we love and adore. And Jesus is the same way. We were never created to sample. I, I remember being a youth pastor and I, I heard this illustration. It's like, you know, our danger in the culture that we live in right now in the South is that we can get inoculated to the gospel. Meaning we can get just enough. I mean, if you ever get the flu shot, they give you just enough of it to hopefully prevent you from getting the real thing. And the problem with us in this culture that we live in, that we can have just enough Jesus that we never get the real thing. I spent the first 18 years of my life in that culture, would have had the conversation with you that I was saved and in blood bought and I was going to be with Jesus for the rest of my life and I had no relationship with him other than culturally attending church and understanding some of the tenets of the faith. But faith, but there was no consumption. There was no partaking in the real thing. It was just being a part of a culture instead of being connected and owned by a savior. And the problem with all of those things is that we can be here this morning and have been in church and have just nibbled on the gospel, nibbled on the hope and glory that it presents, but never really consuming it. And so with that, we have a tendency to have our life be focused on the wrong things. And there's there's seasons of our life that life is just about work. And there's there's seasons where we we you have to work, you have to make a paycheck, but we can let work be what identifies who we are and and gives us fulfillment and and makes us feel successful. There's seasons of our life that we can even do good things that service is what we uh, is who we are. We could be in the kingdom and think, you know, who we are is we serve and do helps. And that identifies the centrality of of what we are as a people versus it being settled on the one thing, which is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that's why the Lord's Supper was instituted right before his death. Like the disciples, as much as they were told that it was coming, they weren't aware what was going to happen. And he created this to recenter them on the one thing that, and this story hadn't even happened yet. Like the, the broken body and the shed blood had not even happened, and he's instituting it, letting them know. I mean, there's so many future things that he talks about in here. The kingdom. He even calls them in the beginning, verse 14, he calls them apostles for the first time, which I, I thought that was funny because up until this point, they weren't really referred to as that. They were his disciples, the one he called out, but they weren't. He was giving them a title that they were going to walk into. But before we get there, I want to just I just want to lay over this because Christ did it during this moment for a specific reason. And if we don't understand Passover, we cannot understand really the, 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 the centrality of what he's trying to do in this moment. So let me just give you a brief history, brief, and I'm not going to get into it a ton, but a brief history of Passover. So 
If you know the story of the people of Israel, uh, Joseph ends up in Egypt, brings all the people of Israel because they were starving and there was food in Egypt and they, and they, they settle there and, and the people of Israel grow. They, you know, grow exceedingly and, and one Pharaoh dies, another Pharaoh takes power and he forgets Joseph, which was the tie to the people of Israel and they were imprisoned. I mean, prophetically, it was, it was spoken. For 400 years, they were going to be in this place. And then God raises up. And if you're reading through Judges right now, you see when the people of God cry out, he sends a rescuer and a redeemer. And so God sends Moses to rescue and redeem his people. Someone that had been stolen away, who had been raised under um, the, the rule of the enemy actually in the household of the enemy, and he's going to rescue and redeem, and he goes away for a season. He comes back to rescue the people of Israel from the most powerful people of the time. I mean, there was no greater kingdom in this moment. And he comes in with a stick to ask the the greatest ruler of the time to release his workforce, his free slave workforce. And of course, he doesn't, and God hardens his heart so that God could show himself powerful to the people that were his children. And so, plague after plague after plague from, you know, frogs. Could you imagine there being so many frogs? Some people love frogs, and you're like, oh, there cannot be enough. There not, cannot be too many frogs. There's too many frogs. They're everywhere. You know, the sore, all of these things. And, and each time he was like, okay, okay, tomorrow I'll let your people go. And the tomorrow would come and he was like, I'm not going to let your people go. And the last plague that was sent was that Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, the firstborn male of every household will die if you don't release us. And of course he doesn't release them. He doesn't believe that. God has that kind of power. So it's, it's set in motion. And to the people of God, he, he's given them this thing that they can do so that this nightmare would pass over them. And he tells them to sacrifice the lamb and, and take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lentils of your house. And as long as you stay in your house that has the blood on the lentils, when this spirit of death comes over to take the firstborn of every family, it will pass over them and you will not experience the death that was called for them to have. And for generations, I mean, this is generations, they're passing at, not passing, they're celebrating Passover every year. This is the moment when the, the sacrificial lamb and the blood of that lamb freed them from the death that was coming. And this is in the middle of this, that he's having this celebration with his people to celebrate the Passover, the the power of God saving his people from the death that was coming. And he brings them into this place. And I love the story from the um, the cult and the, um, the mule to finding this place. He was like, well, where are we going to meet for our Passover meal? He's like, oh, go to this house. Go, to this, go up this street. You're going to see this guy carrying this water bucket. Follow him and says, the Lord has need of your house. Can you imagine like you're doing your own thing? You're watering your grass one day and someone comes up to you and says, the Lord needs your residence for a celebration. Like, 
<laughs> Just stay right there. <clears throat> but of course, you know, God has work, was working behind the scenes and the man understood potentially one of Jesus' disciples already having the upper room. They, they create this place. And they don't know it, but like this is something that they're going to do forever. This is a moment that Jesus is creating for his people. And so we're, we're picking up the story in Luke 22, verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at table, at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this, which isn't their first, they've had celebrated Passover, but this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until the fulfillment or until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is coming. In verse 17, it says, and he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I tell you. That from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I love this. This is uh, just a little side note. Part of the reason why communion is something that's meant to do together is because the kingdom was never just for you. I mean, he literally gave his disciples and he's showing them from the beginning, break this up and divide it. Give it out to those that are in the room. He was doing this thing together. And he's talking about a kingdom that we don't visibly see, but is here today. Something that is greater than, I, I know you, you've grown up in schools today and you, you've, you've learned the Pledge of Allegiance. And if I brought a flag out here, most of you could, could go right through and do the Pledge of Allegiance, something that you learned in school, this pledging ourselves to a country, to a kingdom. When our, our kingdom is being brought into place here. In verse 19 it says, And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. This new covenant is a big deal. I mean, so the people of God in, in this culture understand the covenant of God, the covenant that was given to Father Abraham, the covenant and the promise that was given. And he enters into it, calling it a new covenant. And these elements of this new covenant was going to be the bread and the wine that, that signify the body and the blood of Jesus. See, the new covenant or the New Testament is the promise that God makes with humanity. That he will forgive sins and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned towards him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. And his death on the cross is the basis of the promise. See, whatever you think this is about, church, 
if it's not centered on this idea, if, if your faith and your security for who you are in Christ isn't centered on the sacrifice and the broken body and the poured out blood, then it's on the wrong thing. Verse 21, it says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. 23. And they begin to question one another which of them it could be who is going to do this. Could you imagine? They still, and we've talked about Judas before, the rest of the disciples had no clue that it was Judas. You know, Jesus didn't talk, start talking about the betrayer, and of course they're like, yeah, yeah, that guy. I've, I've known that guy from the, I've known from the beginning. They were clueless because then they, in another translation, they were like, is it I, Lord? And they're, they're coming up to him asking if it was them. And here's the danger. Is that we could be an outsider on the inside of the party. Which is dangerous. Because your salvation doesn't come from your membership here. At this church or any other church. Your salvation doesn't come from you getting wet in a tank of water or sprinkled. Your salvation doesn't come through your service or your giving. But we could do some of those things to make ourselves look like an insider but still be an outsider. Because we could be sampling what Jesus is giving instead of partaking in the supper. My fear as I read through the New Testament, and my fear as a youth pastor, which is what I was for nine years before we moved here to plant the church, is that I would I would help people get inoculated and not transformed. That I would promise them something that they don't have by their association. Never intentionally. It's not like I promised them the kingdom. It's not like I promised them salvation if they attend or they become members. But through the preaching of his word, I, I can unwittingly give security to people that may not be consuming the correct thing. And I don't mean consuming like taking in, but like partaking in the right thing, meaning have trusted and believed in Jesus alone for their salvation. And my fear of that, actually, we used to do these outreaches in our youth group. We'd have lots of these kids come in and we'd have, you know, guest speakers come in and there would be this pull at the end. If you've been around church long enough, you, you know, you get a dynamic speaker in there and they're, you know, it just you just feel like... Kids are getting saved three or four times. Like, like I'm just drawn to the front. And, and my fear during all these times is that I would create in them what I had in me for those first 18 years. Is that their trust would be in the wrong thing. And I love that the Lord himself 
gave us this thing. And the problem with this thing is, is that if you've been around church long enough, you've had a lot of bread and wine. It's just juice. No fear. But these elements become so common that it's just this thing you do that we can we can almost get in like our life in this kind of this going through the motions. If you've been married for long, you know, going through the motions is not a healthy place to be. And I don't want I don't want us to to jump right in. We're going to go to communion here in just a little bit. But I want this moment to be something else. Because it was never created for something that we do just to do it. It was created for us to remember. As we go up there and we look at in, in this, this gluten-free bread. Okay. There's nothing special about it. Frozen section of most grocery stores. It's not frozen right now. No fear. But we can look at it and, and we can forget that it's. Not just from the freezer section, gluten-free bread, but this is a symbol. This is a reminder. It's almost like this thing that we put on after we leave engagement and we become married. This thing that we put on our finger so that it can remind us what we're connected to. This is what this is. Communion was created to recenter us so that when you walk up to this table and you look at these elements, there's nothing of you in those. It's not your body broken. It's not your blood shed. It is our Savior, Jesus's body and blood that was broken and shed for us. And so when we walk up to the table, when we put those things in our hand, it is a reminder that it is not our service. It is not our giving. It is not our prayer life. It's not how much we read, but it is the death burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior that gives us life. And when you consume those today, it could be literally the most life-giving thing that you've done in a long time if it's done correctly. Because it removes you from the equation. The most dangerous thing that we do ever in our Christian life is equate who we are to Christ by what we've done for Christ. Is it, I mean, I do it. There's days that I feel bad about myself by what I have or haven't done. Instead of waking up in the morning and, and like we sing and go, I am Christ. I am his righteousness, not because of my works or my efforts, but because of him. And as we celebrate communion today, as we do something that has become common, I challenge you to take away the routine of it. And so we're, we're intentionally, as we go into this, we're going to invite our worship team up in just a minute. And, and we're going we're gonna to settle. I, actually, Paul says in, in Corinthians that we, we, should, we should really prepare ourselves for this moment. And I don't want us to just reluctantly get in line and and go through the motions and put a little bit of bread and a little bit of wine and put it in our mouth and leave. I want us to answer a few questions. So as we prepare ourselves for communion, ask yourself a few questions. Here they are. Have you, and not socially, 
not culturally, but have you put your trust and faith in Jesus? Period. Not Jesus plus your actions. And if you can't answer yes to that, then correct as needed. Take time there. Here's another question. Have you been feasting or just nibbling lately? And the great thing is, is you're not going to tell me this. You're not going to tell the person beside you this. So it's no benefit for you to lie to yourself. Here's the last one. What is the center of your faith? What What is the crux of what you believe? And if it's anything other than than Jesus in his work on the cross, then you need to adjust that. That's what this is. That's what communion was about, readjusting yourself so that you go, this is why I read. So you don't read, and I know the Bible app is like, like I get disciplined, like, you know, there's some days I don't open my Bible. Okay, let's just throw that out there. I knew I shouldn't go to this church. There's there's days that, you know, the Bible app will tell you how many days in a row you've opened the app. Anybody else? I You know, I, you get to like 11, you feel like I'm on a good streak, and then you don't open it one day, and you just open it two days later, and you're back to one. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope no one sees that. Because some days I read because I want you guys to know that I read. Which is nibbling. Which is not consuming. Which is not entering in. We want the outflow of what we do to be centered on what Jesus did. Not to get what he gives freely. So let me explain. Our worship team can go ahead and come up. Um, let me explain. If, you've, if you're new here or if you've not taken communion with us before, let me just explain or answer a few questions for you. Who is communion for? Uh, at Reach Community Church, communion is for anyone who has said yes to Jesus. So if you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus, then then our communion table is open to you. You don't have to be a member here. You could be, it could be your first Sunday that you've ever walked in this building. And if you are a child of God, then communion is for you. And so how do we do communion? Because you're, if you're new here, you're going to see people like get up and start doing things. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And it's new because they're, they're usually always in the back. And I moved them up front just to mix it up. And so what you'll do when you get ready, I, I, we're going to pray in just a second and, and prepare ourselves. Like, I, I don't want, um, you know, we'll be here for a little bit where I'm intentionally finishing a little early today so that we have time to linger here. I would prefer that you sit and, and answer, and I'll go over these again, answer these questions in your head and, and correct as needed before you go here. Because there is also in Corinthians talking about that if we... Do communion incorrectly. It's not good for us. And I, I don't want that to be the case. I, I want you to 
walk out of here with the joy and peace that God promises us as his children. And so here, what you're going to do in just a little bit is you're going to come up here and there's um, a plate. It's going to have your gluten-free bread right there. And your Welch's grape juice. And so what you'll do is you'll come up and you'll grab a piece of bread and you'll dip it in the juice, which is the fancy word for that is intention. Try to use that in vocabulary this week. It might be really awkward. But you go and you take and you, you can take it back to your seat. You can go to a corner. You can pray with family. You can do whatever you need to do. Communion tables are open. So here's the questions again. Have you put your trust and faith in Jesus alone? Meaning his work on the cross for you, for your sins. I mean, think about all these things that you've done that has separated you from the holiness of God. And hopefully no one in here needs to come to terms with that you're not perfect and you're not holy on your own. Two is, have you been feasting or just nibbling? Because like that confession of just going, God, I, I've, I've been using you so I feel better about myself. I've been using, like I, I'm getting my word so we can have conversations with other believers and go, yeah, I'm, I'm reading the word. Yeah, I'm consistent. But that consistency can still be nibbling. And the last one is, what is the center of your faith? And if it's not there, move there. Just say, God, I've, I've put things where you need to be. And fix that. And as we worship in this last song, let this be something that changes you. Like I, I want communion today to be something that's a celebration. I mean, the disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand the gravity of what's going on. But he was telling them, this is my body, which hadn't been broken yet. Which has been broken for us. And this is my blood that's shed for you. Hebrews says, do not be deceived. There will be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And Jesus became the sacrificial lamb for us. So that what we deserved, which is death, passes over us because of the blood of our sacrifice. And so as you consume these today, let the reality of what they are sink down in you. That for you to be a child, you have to consume the things of God. Meaning you have to partake in his death. Because without his death, there is no life. So let's pray. Dearly Father, you knew your, your disciples needed this. And you knew that today that we need this. And so there's people in this room that 
potentially don't know you, have, have never called on your name, aren't trusting in you for salvation, but they need you, they desire you. And Lord, I pray that you would allow that transaction to happen this morning. And Lord, I believe that there's another group in this room that we, we've taken our faith in you for, for granted. We're, we're nibbling on the things of Christ instead of feasting. And Lord, I, I pray that, that condemnation would be away from here. But the conviction that moves us to life would be poured out. So whatever is taking up that spot in our life, whatever is central to who we are, Lord, I pray that you would allow that to be one, identified, and two, removed. So that you can be put in your rightful place. And as we partake in communion today, Lord, I pray that there would be a transaction. That there would be a a hope renewed in us. There would be a joy renewed in us. There would be a strength renewed in us as we acknowledge that it is you that are the source of those things. That it is you that gives us life and gives us life abundantly. And as we put these common things, because they were common before today, as we put them in our hand and The transaction happens, Lord, I pray that you would allow your Holy Spirit in us to do what we could never do in ourselves. That you would bring a freshness in us so that we could be like your disciples who go out and divide you. So that we can give you to those around us. But we need you first. So Lord, I pray that Today would be a day of renewal for everyone who partakes in your supper. We thank you for your grace and mercy during these times. We thank you for future grace and mercy that you are even now pouring out on us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.